They say, write what you know. They don't say, don't write what you don't know. And so people sometimes do that. I think <laughs> there are some people writing what they don't know. And so my goal will be for myself to, you know, write what I know and continue to know different things. So I continue to write different things. Like, I think that in the beginning of my comedy career, I was just like, just writing jokes that weren't necessarily helping necessarily. I was like learning how to be a comedian. And now like the new hour that I'm working on has at least it's advice for myself, like looking back and being like, Oh, here's ways that I, that I have been that I'm not anymore. And I'm glad because I learn things sometimes by making mistakes or being ignorant being taught. And so I'm like, Oh, and maybe now this can be helpful. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. Last week we had an experimental episode with no guest. This is another experimental episode with a guest in another city. Because it's remote, you'll probably notice a slight difference in audio quality, but hopefully it's not too bad. Anyway, the reason we're doing it is because this week's guest, Mike Kaplan, will be headlining DC Draft House this weekend. So if you like what he has to say, you can see him live. And if you don't like what he has to say, uh, we'll also have seven DC's best showcases at Big Hunt, starting at 8 o'clock on Thursday, and then three shows on Friday and three on Saturday. You can get tickets and info for Mike's shows and the Big Hunt shows on the website. As I mentioned, our guest this week is Mike Kaplan. Mike is a veteran comic who has been on pretty much every late night show, Last Comic Standing, America's Got Talent, and has Comedy Central and Netflix specials. In this episode, he talks about his background in linguistics and how he has approached his career by focusing on being true to himself. I went to college in the Boston area, and that is where I started doing stand-up. What did you study in school? Uh, I studied at Brandeis philosophy and psychology, and then I went to grad school at BU for linguistics. Nice. That's fancy. Oh, yeah. I'm very fancy. What did you think that you wanted to do at that time? Uh, Well, when I was uh, getting my degree at Brandeis, I considered uh, being a psychologist, a therapist, a counselor of some kind. Uh, I applied to some grad schools for that. Uh, I also thought about being a teacher um, I applied to teach for America. Both my parents were teachers. Uh, so I thought about maybe a math teacher. I had taught music lessons like guitar lessons and been a music counselor at a summer camp for many years. So that was something I considered. Uh, but also I, uh, in, in high school, I sort of started teaching myself guitar. And so my, my goal, my dream, uh, you know, my, my reach was to, uh, be a singer-songwriter and <laughs> just, uh, you know, record albums and perform and travel and have fans for that. And so the reason that I uh, eventually did go to grad school for linguistics is, number one, I wanted to give myself more time to not have to decide what adult job I was going to have, Yeah. Uh, to give myself more time to quote-unquote be discovered is what uh, I, I conceived of it. I, I think I, I knew that that was like not a realistic way to conceive of it, but I was like, you know, for, for shorthand as a caricature, I'll just, uh, yeah. you know, 
give my give myself more time. It's a normal um, thought process. Yeah. So I that was I ultimately did want to be a performer uh, of music, and then little by little, I I uh, found various places to perform, including a comedy club uh, called the Comedy Studio. That I was like, can I play my funny songs there? And then uh, started event eventually gradually uh, weaning the songs out and weaning the comedy in. When you were studying linguistics, what do you what do you learn when you study linguistics? Sure. Uh, well, I did also have to. Uh, this wasn't a a career that I specifically wanted, but it was a cool thing uh, in the meantime. So I I got a job in linguistics in a way. Uh, there was a company uh, called BBN Technologies in the Boston area that uh, they'd been. They, they were around since maybe the 60s, 70s. They were, I think, the uh, originators of, if not the internet, like an internet or a preliminary internet. They did all kinds. So I worked in the speech and language department of this technology company. And so some of the practical things that we did there was like train computer uh, programs to like process language. So like feed it a bunch of uh, data like newspaper articles and then have it analyze or at least be like, these are the names, these are the people, these are the countries or organizations or facilities so that, you know, a, a ma like ideally like a mass of data could be analyzed in a short amount, a shorter amount of time than it would take humans to read all the articles because yeah. we were using, you know, helping pro train these algorithms to uh, read, read them for us. Uh, also while I was there, there was, um, some, some projects that were about like speech recognition, uh, technology. So the, the programs that like when you call if like our company was owned by Verizon. So sometimes there'd be Verizon tasks where like I was li listening on the other end of phone calls to what people said to the phone system. Uh, even when you're on hold, uh, there might've been people listening. Uh, oh really? Oh yeah, I would hear people, <laughs> you know, swearing while there was hold music, transferring them places. Uh, oh my god, I hope people listen to what I say when I when I'm in those automated uh, oh, yeah. menus and and on hold because, man, I, I'm very I'm brutal, man. I'm vicious. I hope oh, yeah. I hope a human's hearing it. Uh, I'm sure it's I, I'm I mean I guess I can't say for sure, but certainly the possibility exists. Uh, but so that's some of linguistic study involves like force the kind of thing that would lead to the practical aspect of like voice recognition technology and speech you know creation technology uh that might not be what it's called i just created that speech. Yeah, yeah. uh is you know the on the, the mo one of the most basic classes uh like there's sort of these this hierarchy of uh of structures in linguistics that the at one level, uh, I, I'll, I'll say the lowest level, not uh, ethically speaking, but just like the building blocks of language. If you go down far enough, it's just sounds, you know, sounds that don't mean anything like the, the letters of the alphabet or the, the phonemes and phones, uh, like phonemes exist in your head and phones are what come out of your mouth, like acoustically. And so every language has different ones, you know, or might have some of the same, some different, like th exists in English. It doesn't exist in a lot of languages. That's why in French, you know, a classic stereotypical French accent uh, or a stereotype of an American doing a French accent would be like this or that because there's no th oh, or yeah, the yeah. 
in French. And then in English, like we have maybe one B, but in Korean, they might have two B sounds, you know? Yeah, yeah. In, in English, we have R and L in certain languages. They only have one sound, one mental representation that comes out as either of those in different situations. So uh, one one class in phonetics and phonology would teach you things like that. Then those sounds get combined into uh, meaningful units of speech called morphemes uh, and and words. You might have heard of words. But, yeah, I uh, about that. Yeah, so like morphemes, like some words are morphemes. Some words are made of multiple morphemes. Like if you had like dog is a morpheme, house is a morpheme. Doghouse is one word made of two morphemes. Mm. Uh, and so a morpheme is a meaningful unit of speech uh, or of language. And then on top of that, then words get combined into clauses, phrases, sentences, and that's syntax. And so every language has different syntax. You know, some have the subject first, the verb next, the object after that. Some go object first. That they, There's basically like six yeah. different orders of those three things. You learn that. And then the next level up is semantics, uh, which is I, I essentially, you know, you could have all the words in an order, but then what what greater meaning do all these, you know, the words uh, portray or convey? Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so those are like, I feel like the basic four classes that everyone took. I think those are the required courses in the linguistics degree. Uh, phonetics, phonology, morphology, syntax, and semantics. And then there's also historical linguistics, like some of it's philosophy, some of it's mathematical, some of it's like anthropological, there's sociolinguistics, there's learning English or other languages as a second language, uh, there's child development, um, there's the, like computer science related things, there's yeah. semiotics. So there's a lot involved in like linguistics is a, a large umbrella, I guess. It's funny. It's funny that you had that job because I know, I know you've been called a, a comedy machine. Oh, sure. And your style is, it is kind of machine like, it's kind of computer like in the sense that they're, it comes out so structured and like so much information comes out throughout your set. You say so many words during your set. It's true. Uh, and uh, I think that is, that means whoever does the most words is the best comedian. Um, <laughs> is that how they judge it? Yeah, yeah I think I think it's quantity, all quantity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there, and a, an interesting linguistic fact that I learned uh, is that uh, in comparing like American English and Chinese, uh, the average speaker will of either of those, like uh, let's say the average of both in Chinese, there will be fewer words spoken per minute. And, mm -hmm. and in English, there'll be more words spoken per minute. But the amount of information that gets conveyed in a minute is approximately the same. So yeah. like we might have in English, like, you know, more words that aren't adding as much, but they're just right. part of it, you know, uh, articles or conjunctions or different things relating to tense, or they might have more information per, you know, just per, per speech yeah, unit. Yeah. Um, and so it's possible that uh, I am using a lot of words, but I'm conveying just about, about the same amount of information as somebody else who's yeah. using half the words. But uh, yeah, it's just everybody has their natural, you know, their natural sure. pace, their natural inclination. Um, 
yeah, I guess I, I have been uh, called, like, I, I, I've been called machine-like in way, in some ways that are, I think, positive and in other ways that are, uh, you know, uh, positive in other ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like having positive intentions for people. Uh, I also do know that I am, I, I, I know this, this sentence might sound weird, I am a human with emotions just like everyone else, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. they, they, and <laughs> the range uh i have i have felt the things that you call happy sad angry (laughs) surprised fearful uh yeah and i do think also that the uh the comedy since beginning comedy i think that when i started out uh i was purposefully doing it in more of a if not mechanical like methodical kind of way in that like i didn't know how to do it it's very rare to know how to do comedy before you start doing comedy and so you know you read books and you listen to interviews and you watch you know older more experienced comedians and a thing that i sort of gleaned was like you know it's not only a numbers game but you know the numbers help like if i wrote you know a hundred jokes i understood that in the beginning probably all of those hundred jokes wouldn't work. Maybe not a majority, maybe a slim minority. But then if I went out, you know, every night that I could to open mics and trying these things, then eventually, uh, you know, at least something might work. And then you hold on to that and try it again and improve it and then keep working until it was sort of, it was unknown what would work. Uh, sure. So yeah. Yeah. The, the idea was just try everything. And then I guess in a way, you know, the, the audience, you might see it as like helping, helping train the algorithm of, of the comedian to be like, Oh, this is, this is what works. Not to say that you're trying everything in the world. Just like, what about these sounds that aren't even words, but you know, whether it's That's definitely I, part of it. Yeah. I think this is funny or I think this is meaningful. Whereas now, you know, many years into doing comedy, uh, I still write down and, or like record into a digital recorder, like, every or almost every idea that I think could be worthwhile, funny, interesting, meaningful, something that's either important to me or uh, funny enough that like funny enough that I want to try to find some import to it or important enough that I want to try and make something funny out of it. And now I I understand now that I I, I can't try all of the jokes that I come up with because there's just not enough time. Uh, every So I must... I must choose what things I say, what things I talk about. And so I do, I think that eventually, you know, the, the albums that I record, the specials that I do, they end up being like highly structured and, you know, all all the words are there and the ideas are there along the way of getting there. uh, It's, I have a lot more like loose experimental, like fun, probably some slower talking sets, like, because I'll talk fast when I know what I'm going to say, but when I'm working yeah. out what I'm going to say, I might start a little like this slower. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you gotta, you gotta still figuring out where you're going as you're saying it. I think it, when the, the people who I think of as kind of like comedy machines, I think there's like, you know, it's just like a type of comic and there's some comics and you watch them from a distance and you can just see that they have so many ideas and they've, they write so many jokes and not every comics like that. Other comics, they, you know, they, they have a different performance style. Their jokes are, 
they have a lot fewer words they might have more noises in them they might be more like stories um and and then there's other people that just they just kind of think in jokes and they're, they're just constantly kind of creating these jokes and it's I mean, I, it's a great problem to have as a comic when you have to sort through all of your ideas to decide what to do. A lot of other people, I mean, even for myself, to for me to sit and think about what jokes I want to write and how I'm going to turn them into full bits, it takes a lot of effort. And every little thing that I have, I like kind of hang on to and really try to make it work. Uh, so, I mean, that's a great a great position to be in, I think. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that's valuable, uh, and I, I can't swear that this will work for everyone, or that it's possible uh, for everyone to conceive of things this way. But you know, you you can understand intellectually that you know you're going to have sets that not everyone loves, whether it's at an open mic or at a a booked show, a big show, a paid show, whatever it is. Like, there's no guarantee, though. Like, the best guarantee that we can have is. Like, oh, if something worked yesterday and the day right. before and as many days as possible, then maybe, hopefully, uh, I can, as much as I can count on anything, I can, like, the sun rose yesterday. Like, at some point, it won't. But until then, uh, I hope that it will. And I think that it will. And so if some of these jokes, you know, if you have a joke that works regularly, I mean, uh, the thing that I was going to say is, like, being comfortable with, I don't even consider it failure, but being comfortable with, you know, whatever the rejection of sure. an audience in a night. Like there's some people I know who, you know, I who want to, you know, kill all the time, which I understand that desire. Uh, but I think that it's important to have at least some places and sometimes where uh, a person feels entirely comfortable to not know how it's going to go because then you discover new things. You, yeah, for sure. And that's what, and so another, here's an aspect that sort of relates to this and linguistics. Um, some people think like when I, when they find out like, oh, you studied linguistics, the study of languages, are you like, please don't pick apart like the things that I say incorrectly if I'm being ungrammatical. And the, that is, that seems like that whoever that straw person that I just created is, is operating on a misconception or yeah. under a misconception or all around one. Uh, they live in a misconception. <laughs> that is that uh, what the, what is true is that the study of linguistics is about being descriptive of how people do speak, not prescriptive of how people yeah. should speak. Like you can take a grammar class and then get graded on, you know, how you're meant to speak, learn all the rules and do them quote unquote correctly. But everyone learns to speak before they even necessarily learn how to read before you're, you're explicitly taught the rules of when to use who and whom, like by listening to people, uh, as you grow up, you learn how to speak, uh, grammatically. Yeah. And so linguistics is to describe that and to tie this to comedy specifically, I feel like I didn't know that this is what I was doing initially, but by doing as many, trying as many different things as I could, trying all these different jokes and ways of doing comedy, like eventually then you can look back. Like I think having a, a different, having part of the process be creating unselfconsciously as much as possible. And then later having the, the editing brain, you know, operate 
on the stuff and be like, well, what worked? What could be better? What didn't? What do we want to keep doing? What will we include next time? And so in a way, you're not being prescriptive about what your comedy is going to be like. You're going to be descriptive, be like, well, what did I do? What yeah. did work? How how did it go? And then that sort of maybe creates like a mold for future creation, future success to be like, I guess I, I've thought about the concept of like, you know, a, a brand, like the idea of some comedians or, or some people, some artists, some uh, businesses are like, this is our brand, uh, which initially uh, I'm already like, I don't like the idea of a brand for many reasons. One is that it's named after, you know, searing a cow's flesh uh, with a hot metal thing, which I'm not a, not a huge fan of, but even the concept <laughs> of it is like, oh, it's this lasting thing. When I think that most uh, great comedians, great artists are constantly like, growing and changing sure. and to try and put somebody in a box, even to say like, Oh, like Maria Bamford, one of my favorites, like is like, she talks a lot about mental health. Is that right. all she is? Is that the only thing that she has to do? Uh, certainly not like, you know, it might be a helpful descriptive categorizer for some people who are like, Oh, I might want to hear a comedy about that, but it doesn't dictate like what she must do in the future or what she, you know, who she quote unquote is as a whole. And so I, I've thought about this as kind of a joke of, you know, thinking about if you think about yourself as having a brand or wanting a brand, the idea is like, okay, now what's the kind of thing that I would say? And you could just, I mean, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to being like, what do I, what am I saying? What am I doing? What am I thinking? What have right. I done? What have I said? What have I thought? And what do I like about that? And what do I want to say? Uh, so that. The, the, I don't remember what the question is, but I think that's the answer. Well, I think the other thing, you know, when it comes to being prescriptive versus descriptive, in comedy, it's clear that you don't want to be overly prescriptive in your approach to it. You, it, It's obvious that people who are able to kind of speak in an interesting way, they, they speak even in a slightly, just in a slightly unique way, that becomes interesting and it becomes funnier people uh when they have kind of novel sentence construction or novel uh vocabulary that that's interesting and it, it's it makes the the comedy better oh yeah i we're recording this on february 24th which is uh i learned mitch hedberg's birthday and so i've been thinking about him a lot today and he's like the i mean he's the one of the first people that sprung to my mind about like you know he could say like if you do anything in his voice to me yeah. it is like fun and endearing and warm and like he he had obviously funny ideas that he was expressing as well but if i think for a lot of his jokes if you said them in a monotone or not in his voice they certainly they wouldn't have the same effect as right. doing them in his voice I definitely started out just imitating Mitch Hedberg. That was like the first most obvious comedy construction and delivery to me. Like it was the simplest way to write a joke and speak in a way that people understood that I was making a joke and they knew where the punchline was. And then, you know, I obviously had to get over it and start talking the way I actually talk. But, you know, I, he, he's, uh, he's like a perfect, like, uh, just very like basic comic. Oh yeah, I've I've also the past uh, couple of days I did a few shows with Joe Firestone. Do you know her? Yeah, I love Joe. 
Oh yeah, like she is another person who is a particular personality that is sort of like if you you couldn't steal her uh, essence and be like I'm gonna do what right. she does. And also the the things that she thinks about and says are themselves weird and different. Like I think if you did look at them written down, you'd be like these are strange ideas. And then also a lot of the the interplay of you know her presenting it to audiences who then react in sometimes very, you know, uh, confused, surprised, yeah. you know, uh, that she's sort of, you know, uh, a masterful, like, instrumentalist of the audience's, you know, emotions and discomfort and moods and, and, uh, and joy. I'll, yeah. yeah. She's so great to listen to. She, she has been on this podcast before. And I don't even I don't remember what we talked about because it it had nothing to do with anything. It was sure. uh, just a, a bunch of unrelated topics that got brought up somehow. But it's just fun to listen to her talk. Oh yeah. So I mean I don't know who the uh, who the people listening are, but if they're people who are thinking of becoming comedians uh, or are comedians, uh, the Number one, don't be prescriptive. That's our first prescription. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the thing it does, the thing that it seems like is uh, true of most of the comedians who I love is that they are, you know, they're so uniquely themselves that they are doing something like that very few other people could do. Even, you know, you might be like, well, what about like one liner, you know, just straight joke tellers like they you know Hedberg's a great example of a guy who was kind of doing that but also in a way they might be like oh is is he like Stephen Wright is he like Emo Phillips is he like Dimitri Martin and I mean if you want to zoom out far enough then sure he maybe yeah. uh people structurally like if you write jokes that are one line long then you are similar in a way to another but the essence of you know who you are and what you're talking about uh needn't be uh, identical and I think in probably can't be no no and you yeah I mean if it was I you wouldn't be true to yourself because you know you're you're gonna have such different experiences and personality to begin with that you know if you tried to do that it, you know you're just imitating someone you you wouldn't really do you do you have an opinion on uh, sometimes people talk about I mean a lot of times people talk about how stand-up comedy is an American art form Sure. And it seems that there are some people who believe that, like, really, it can only truly be done in English. Um, do you have any opinion on that? Oh, I uh, I think that that I, my my initial uh, response is that that seems like it's probably not true. Yeah, it's got it's yes, I agree. It seems like it must not be true. Yeah, I mean. I, I do understand that, uh, like, I have a, a friend, uh, Joe Wong, who I started out doing comedy with in Boston, and who, you know, was born in China, and then came to America, and started doing comedy in English here, and now also does it in Chinese in China. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that, like, there have been some articles written up about, like, the, the comedy scene rising, like, sort of later than, uh, than it did here, there, sure. and that they had a different style of comedy that wasn't one person doing stand up but was like originally like two people kind of i think doing a a debate of a kind okay uh, yeah like interplaying with one another um i don't i'm not certainly an expert in it more than i know that that is a thing but also i do know that you know joe all i believe does speak to people 
uh, in Chinese, telling jokes, and I can't, uh, I couldn't imagine saying that that's not, st- if, if he says right, it's stand-up, right. then, then it is. And certainly there's people, you know, there are French comedians, there are yeah. Italian comedians. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I, the same idea that like, you know, hip hop was also, if I understand correctly, uh, you know, born in the United States. And it, I don't think it means that, I, I certainly there are people in other countries who can it, do the form and structure of what it is to rap. And perhaps it'll come from a different place, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so certainly American hip hop comes from a specific uh, place in, from a specific part, you know, subset of uh, American culture. And if somebody is doing uh, doing hip hop in another language from another country, uh, it certainly might mean something different or come from a different place. But uh, and if people want to be like, well, then that's uh, let's call it something else. Then that's fine. I think at a, at a certain point, uh, like categories, labels, like names for things are are valuable in as far as they are descriptive. Uh, and if they become prescriptive, like there have been conversations in comedy. Uh, like let's say when Nanette came out and if people were like, it's good, but is it comedy? And I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. kind of the answer mostly doesn't matter. Like the most, right. impo- yeah. the most important question is not like, what is this thing called? And yeah, you know, yeah. is this thing, you know, is this piece like, is it valuable? Is it meaningful? Is it beautiful? Is it funny? Is it doing what it's intending to do? Is it, you know, representative of like, is it Hannah Gadsby? Like, Lenny yeah. Bruce once said, I think, Lenny Bruce said, uh, I'm not a comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce. And that's ultimately, I think, and I, I don't think he meant that what he was doing was not stand-up comedy. What right. he meant was that in a way, like he transcended the category, like he was, I'm not just a comedian. I am more specifically, like if you think about people today, like Maria Bamford is Maria Bamford. You know, Chappelle is Chappelle. Reggie Watts sure. is Reggie Watts. Like, what, but what is Reggie Watts a stand-up? Is he a comedian? Is he a performance artist? Is he a musician? Is he like what? What right. he is? He's a Reggie Watts. And so I think uh, certainly my goal is to be a me. And I feel like for most comedians. Like there might be some people who are like, I want to be the best comedian possible. Though I, I don't, at some point, like everyone's heading off in different directions. And is it possible to compare? You can compare your own tastes, but you know, it'd be like saying, is this symphony orchestra better than, the, is the best symphony orchestra better than the best jazz artist, better than the best rapper, better than the best dancer, better than the best potter? Better, like there's not, you know, in America's Got Talent of, you know, the universal soul. So I think that, you know, the goal is for everyone to be the, you know, the themiest. So for you, you've gone through a a lot of most of the standard comedian things to do. You know, you've done tons and tons of late night sets. You've put out albums. You've done specials. And at this point for you, do you, is your goal to be? the best stand-up comedian or do you, are you starting to have different types of goals uh a fine question i thank you for asking um well i do th- i think that i am becoming better at uh 
doing comedy the way that I want to. Again, kind of like in retrospect, I didn't set out to, you know, like the album, I have a new album coming out later this year uh, in May, and it is, it's called All Killing Aside, and it's the hour that I, I brought to Edinburgh for the first time. Uh, I never, I'd never been to the Fringe Fest before, but I went in 2018, and I'd been working on the hour for maybe a couple of years leading up to that. And then I did it a little further and recorded it last year. And it's it's the first hour that is like, I guess it's not even necessarily, but it's more thematic. It's more structured right. in a specific way uh, than like the first, the first album that I put out 10 years ago was like, I'd been doing comedy seven years and I was like, here's the best of the comedy that I've made in the past seven years in an order that makes sense so that I can remember it with right, topics right. that go together in kind of the same place next to each other. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I did another album like that. And then the, I think the next one I did was uh, uh, the first special I did. And that one I became more, I like, I thought more about like what was going where, cause there were some like, some sort of intricate like you know or slightly intricate connections between ideas there was like some time travel themes through it and then the last album i put out was called no kidding and it was that was sort of the first album that had more of uh, at least a theme that i like did variations on or uh springing from throughout the album about not wanting to have kids and it was still just you know it was still an album full of jokes but there might have been some jokes that i didn't put on the album because they didn't go along like sure. they, they didn't fit with it anymore uh as opposed to in the beginning then i was like if i thought of a funny thing then it goes on the album right and now i know that there's you know i can i mean i can put out as many albums as i want and i i did after that record an album that i called live in between albums uh because and it just had all the jokes that uh, like an hour's worth of jokes that didn't fit into that theme and didn't fit right. into the next theme. And I'm like, why not record them? Why not let people hear? Like they're, they're still fun to do, but this one, the album that's coming out this year, all killing aside uh, is it's sort of, a, it's the first it's, I guess a lot of like, you know, non-American comedians, like British comedians, Australian comedians, uh, people who go to the fringe fest to Edinburgh, to uh, the Australian fringes, uh, it's a pretty, it's a fairly common thing to, for them to have themes, for them to have narratives, yeah. like a show that's a show as opposed to uh, just, you know, just, just an hour of jokes, which. Yeah, you know, it is. It's definitely different. It's a different, it's a different style. And so I feel like Mike Birbiglia was one of the first comedians in America who yeah. uh, at least is noteworthily. Uh, like that's what he's doing. I feel like Christopher Titus also. Like there's certainly there are storytellers. There's yeah. many. But like Berbiglia was like the the most visible to me at least. I'll say. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah. And then doing the going to the off Broadway and Broadway shows. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, his first album was like just joke. Like, it was all jokes. And then after that, just one person shows that are also full of jokes, but you know also stories and. So I, I didn't set out to do that. And I also, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not him. And uh, sure. but I am, I'm doing things now more that are like it, the direction that he headed. I'm, I'm heading in my own direction. Like that is more similar to that than anything that I'd done before. And I like it. It adds, it's a new challenge. Cause I do feel like uh, I can, I, you know, I, I can write jokes and I can tell jokes and they are, it's really, it's fun to do. And some of them are based on my life and some of them are based on like silly 
you know, imaginations. And mm-hmm. some of them are, are, are about things that I think are important to be talking about in, you know, in certain ways when there are like challenges that people are facing in the world, be it, you know, personally or systemically, that sort of thing. Like I, I'm not forcing talking about anything, but you know, if I, if I think about something and I write about something, then often like jokes will, you know, seeds will be planted right. and they will grow if they are watered and then they can be reaped and the metaphor can be harvested. And uh, so I think that I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done growing as a comedian. I'm not done growing as a human. Like the hour that I'm working on now that I'll be essentially doing when I come to DC this weekend uh, is one that I'm going to bring back to Edinburgh, uh, you know, in at the Fringe Fest 2020. And it's another, you know, a, not a whole narrative story from beginning to end, but it's something that it demonstrates uh, like, it has again themes that run through. Of, yeah, coherent themes. Yeah, and, and so that is something that feels like because of the challenge that it offers. And it's, again, there's lots of people doing this. It's not, uh, but everyone has. I think, I think yeah. it's becoming more popular. Yeah, uh, and so like I, I like, I kind of, I feel like I get to do, I get to do whatever I want with my mm-hmm. with my comedy, and so it's fun to like. I still write, have all the ideas you know, write all the jokes, try all, all the things that I want to out on stage and then, uh, look back and be like, Oh, is there, is there something, you know, forming in my, what, what am I making? What, what is this next hour? Like, so after I do this hour in Edinburgh and record it, uh, what will the next hour be like? And I already have some, you know, some, uh, seedlings forming, you know, that, uh, I don't know what the what exactly the end will be or the beginning or the whole story, but and also maybe at some point I will just put out another album of jokes. So I guess I mean the goal is to be I think to answer your question like continually learning uh, as a stand-up and if not trying brand new things or expanding the comfort zone, uh, which I do think those are valuable things. Like there's. There's a thing that I, I do think I might start talking more. Like there's some comedians who who talk about like social political issues in ways that are I think really valuable. Like both sure. as comedy and uh, you know to as, as uh, a help to society. Like yeah, uh, to spread the yeah, ideas. Like Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu and uh, like Aparna and I mean Maria Bamford. Like uh, they're they're talking about important things in you know meaningful them only uh creative ways and i'm like can i do that i think and so i think it's important you know as opposed to the idea of sometimes you see like late night talk show hosts and some of them might have jokes about what's going on in current events that don't really delve deeply into them they're just like this happened today and here's a funny you know bit about it but then there's some people uh, you know, like when Colbert was certainly doing the Colbert report, like was addressing real things in a in a deep, meaningful way. And part of doing that is being informed, being like researched, like actually learning uh, more about what is going on, learning about uh, history and politics, if that's what you want to talk about, uh, because, you know, they... They say write what you know. They don't say don't write what you don't know, and so people sometimes do that. I think there's, <laughs> there are some people writing what they don't know, and so my goal will be for myself to, you know, 
write what I know and continue to know different things. So I continue to write different things. And so I, I have this joke that I haven't really told much, but like, I think that in the beginning of my comedy career, I was just like, just writing jokes that weren't necessarily helping necessarily. I was like learning how sure. to be a comedian. And now like the new hour that I'm working on has at least it's advice for myself, like looking back and being like, oh, here's ways that I that I have been that I'm not anymore. And I'm glad because I learn things sometimes by making mistakes or being ignorant or being taught. And so I'm like, oh, and maybe now this can be helpful. Maybe this can help someone in the future. So I'm like, oh, originally my comedy wasn't helping. Now my comedy hopefully is helping someone yeah. do something. And I'm like, so maybe in the future, I won't even be doing comedy because I'll be busy doing more helping. Like in Yeah, do you think about that? Uh, I do think about it. I mean, and I, I do think that that is, I, don't, I think that I don't have to not do comedy in order to uh, right. do things that are hopefully impactful or meaningful outside of comedy. I think that, uh, you know, there's different organizations that I, uh, volunteer with and contribute to and like try to help uh, spread the like you know the I read I also read a lot about uh, Buddhism and like one of the the goals of becoming enlightened in Buddhism is to not do it for your own sake so that you're like oh look at me all enlightened but to uh, gain enough like knowledge wisdom uh, like move far enough along the path that you can also then help other people uh, you know do that as well. And so I want to, I want to learn. And then I also want to help. And I want to, I want others to like learn and grow and what, whatever I can do uh, in. And I think that comedy is a, is often a valuable, powerful tool uh, for both personal growth and potentially, you know, hopefully helpful growth of, uh, of people outside who are taking in the comedy. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a very enlightened approach to comedy. Well, look do at you, me how look how enlightened. Yeah, I am. yeah, look but at it me. is. But do you do you think about um, the need to because you you know there's the brand aspect to it, and then there's the kind of building a following so that you have an audience, so that people are listening to what you have to say. Is that something that you spend a lot of time thinking about? Uh, I, I, short, here's a, a I'll answer this with a joke that will also reveal the truth. I don't know whose joke this is. If, if anyone's listening and knows whose joke this is, I really want to find out. But, uh, so the, the short answer is no. The long answer is no. <laughs> I, um, not that I don't like, you know, you know, Shane Moss. Yeah. Uh, Shane, uh, and I started doing comedy together in Boston many years ago and he psychedelic now, bros. oh yeah, he has done a great job of both being a fantastic comedian and like finding an, his own niche of like, yeah. he loves psychedelics. He created a, a show about psychedelics. Now he has this show stand up science. He loves science. He has a podcast where he interviews scientists. Like he's learning. He, he loves learning about the brain and consciousness and neuroscience. And so that has, you know, he's not like, oh, let's see, what does the world need? You right, know, as right. far as like trying to figure out from the outside, he's like, from the inside, he's like, this is what interests me. And so he's, he has grown, uh, you know, the, the brand naturally around him of like science and comedy, which, you know, he's not the only person uh, thinking about science and comedy together. Sure. But 
he is he is doing a very specific thing in a thoughtful way and additionally he has gotten good at like uh figuring out where to do shows how to do shows how to get people to those shows like i did a, a we- i went on tour with him for a week maybe 6 months ago and we went to like six cities in seven days and like most of the places were like some of them were hundreds of people on a Monday, like in a, he would do them in college towns and have like scientists who were professors at the local colleges on the shows. And it's uh, so, and he, he figured out, he knows he's done, he's done the work, not only of comedy, but also of, you know, of market research. And yeah, that, he- that is something that I haven't done as much. I'm just like, Shane, how do I do that? You know? Yeah, he he brought his um, psychedelic show to um, Big Hunt, oh, and sure. he I think it was on an it was a while ago, and I think it was on an off night, and it was full show, and everybody was very much there to to hear you know what he had to say. Not they weren't just like generic comedy fans; they oh, were yeah. there to see this specific show. And I I do think that like there is. Like the the way that I mean, he's not only about psychedelics; he's not only about science. But by mm-hmm. like leaning into that, it offers him this uh, this valuable inroad to right. uh, you know to this to build this audience. And I do think that there's one a thing a thing about my life that has been pretty consistent is like I've I've often wanted to do everything. I'm like I want to have the maximal experience. I want to like try all the yeah. things, like you yeah. know, major in a lot of things, like learn about a lot of things. And so there are like there might be some people who are at my shows because they're vegan. There might be some people who are at my shows because they like wordplay. There might be some people who are at my shows because they like psychedelics, and I talk about that. There might be some like there's all these different things that I uh, have you know access to. Uh, in my my experience creatively, like I've you know in the past talked extensively about polyamory. I've talked about atheism. Now about spirituality. Now you know about not wanting kids. Like there's many different. I'm like, well, if, if everyone likes one, if anybody likes one thing about me, just come to the show and then uh, like then also listen to the other stuff about me. Yeah, yeah, you get to, to learn about the other stuff. Um. So yeah, but I, I don't know that I I have not spent as much time. Uh, thinking about how to go out to, you know, seek. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, I'd rather, I, I, I'm very fortunate that, like, I have been able to have the career right. that I've had uh, with with my limited uh, desire to, you know, learn about Facebook ads, for example. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I'm, I feel fortunate that... You- You did come up in a little bit of a, you came up a little bit earlier, like a little bit before people got so fixated on like building their own audience. You know, when you were getting, when you first started getting those late night spots and and getting your half hour, you know, that was, that was a while ago. And that was when it was more structured and, you know, you, it was kind of clear the steps that you take as a comedian where you're just auditioning for things you're trying to get the late night sets you're trying to get the specials and you know things have shifted which is interesting because it does fit into then as you get uh interested in kind of more diverse types of ideas outside of just telling jokes it fits in well with kind of how things have gone where people are are seeking out these kind of niche um you know the niche content 
for what they're interested in in there. Everybody's getting to learn about their whatever they want instead of just kind of watching whatever's on TV. Yeah, I guess uh, that that makes sense and does sound like it's it's funny. I remember maybe this will be an analogy and I hope I remember everything. But uh, years ago, like maybe when I moved to New York in 2008, uh, and that's like around, and maybe when I had my first TV appearance, and then like in the next couple of years, they started, uh, uh, fortunately coming more and more. And I remember a comedian I met who was like, man, like, you're kind of like lucky that like this nerd stuff is popular now. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, do you think I should like get glasses? And I'm like, my glasses are for reading. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, I, I do think that, per- I mean, if that's so, maybe I benefited uh, but I, you know, I was never, I, I, it was never about like, oh, let's, let's try this now. You know, it was just yeah, like, yeah. well, this is who I am. And if the, you know, the, 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 the public consciousness rises, you know, or like carries me forward with its current, like I'm, yeah. I'm happy, uh, for that to be able to happen. And so I think perhaps similarly to what you just asked, uh, I'm, like I, I would have been very happy to like the way that it was going when I started, you know, I got, uh, like I got, I got the half hour in comedy central. I did last comic standing that year. That was what then enabled me to start performing at, you know, lots of different clubs or bigger clubs because now there were people who had seen me and might then come out, uh, on the strength yeah. of what they had seen or, or the strength of that I had been on, you know, uh, a particular show I remember like the first, I think the first club that I headlined like outside the Boston area where I started was maybe a uh, comedy club on state in Madison, which I, I don't remember if I had yet done a late night set, but what, or maybe I was about to do one and it got booked or maybe it was Cap City in Austin. One of those, those were like what some of the first ones that I got, that I got booked just because like now I had an agent that was like, he has been on the tonight show or he's going to right. be on the tonight show. And so you can trust that the people who come to see him will be happy because it, it meets some level, some caliber. Yeah, right. And it did seem like the same way that, uh, the, in some ways, uh, anachronistic, uh, to some people like relationship escalator, you know, like, Oh, you, you date, you go steady. If you're going to be monogamous, then you get engaged, you get married, you have kids, whatever, whatever the thing is like that. Not everybody has to do all of those things or any of those things, Mm -hmm. but there is a path that has been laid forth at least by some mainstream, uh, avenue. And so in comedy similar, like, you know, in the beginning, it was like, Oh, try to be on in the eighties, the tonight show. And then that's all you need to do. (laughs) But now, you know, when I started out, there was, you know, you try to get to the HBO festival in Aspen or the just for last festival in Montreal. You try to be a new face. You try to then like there were, it seemed some steps forward. You try to get on these late night shows or you try, you try to get a college booking agent. That was something that I was like, Oh, I understand that I might be good for colleges and they might pay money that I can then not have to work other jobs if I can get enough of those. And that is what ended up happening fortunately at a point. And now, so it, there were steps forward. And then I remember I did uh, get to record, you know, an hour special that ended up on Netflix. And then it seemed like it was just on a, on a, a forward, you know, a nice trajectory. And then at a certain point, it's like, oh, well, 
you know, everybody who's on live at Gotham on Comedy Central doesn't get a half hour. Everybody gets a half hour and oh, doesn't yeah. get an hour. Everybody who has one hour special doesn't necessarily do another hour special on the same platform. Like there's different aspects, uh, you know, not weeding out, but just uh, when moving certain pathways forward. And then the idea that there are now some people who are, you know, building their own paths with with podcasts, with web series, with, you know, when Vines happened, with Twitter, with, right. uh, you know, viral video, with whatever whatever it is, uh, with blogs. Uh, I'm an old man now. Yeah, blogs. And, uh, oh, I remember when kids had blogs. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's, you know, there's now TikTok. I, I know things that are happening. Yeah, right. Um, and so it's, it's nice to it is nice to be doing what I want to be doing. And like, you know, being aware, like I didn't have Instagram for a while because I'm like, I'm not the biggest, uh, that's not like my main, right. uh, area of expressing creativity, like by making visual things. Like I'm more of an audio and, you know, written down kind of guy, but I'm like, Oh, well I, it became a thing like, Oh, how can I use this new thing that people like, you know, in a way that is me and helpful in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so who knows, I like, who knows what I'll do, but it is, it is nice to, uh, by in some ways necessity, figuring out like the way to do what I want to do and then hopefully like offer it and offer it to be like, well, who, who wants it? Who, who likes this flavor? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, which is, it, it is nice. It's no, it's, it's nice. It's always nice. Like when I started out in Boston, there was like the comedy studio in Cambridge across from Harvard, which was like the, a comedy womb of a kind, like Eugene Merman came out of there, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like a bunch of Conan writers. And it was just like the, the nicest audiences that would just sit and listen like students and like you could have, you know, you didn't, not that you didn't have to try, but you could do weirder uh, weirder things. And then there was like downtown you know, or, you know, in the, the, the Boston proper, you know, sort of the South Boston, Goodwill hunting, you know, like, shit, like just clubs full of tourists or, you know, different demographics than the, the kids who went to Harvard or MIT yeah. uh, because Boston was such a, you know, a diver in a way, a diverse city uh, demographically. And so there were opportunities where, you know, sometimes you could be like, be the uniquest flower that you are. And in some places they were like, don't be a flower. You know what I mean? And so yeah. you got practice being like, oh, well, what's the version of what, what, what do I do here? What, what can I do that works here and here? What can I do that's you know, true to myself that then, like, I mean, ultimately you're, it's, you know, you, they, they've said you can't please all the people all the time. And, uh, and they don't say like, and why would you want to, you know, like that's, uh, I mean, maybe they, maybe they're implying that actually, but, uh, <laughs> maybe it's sour grapes who can say, but, uh, the, you want to, I mean, I want to start from a place of pleasing myself, uh, right. and then, you know, being like presenting that to people being like, who enjoys me pleasing myself in this way? Now I'm not going to say it like that anymore, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. who wants to see me? Who's <laughs> pleased who wants to please themselves by seeing me please myself we're talking about comedy yeah that sounds real good thank you well man i think uh i mean i think it's going great so far oh yeah and uh i'm looking forward to uh seeing the new hour this weekend appreciated uh, and uh, excited to return thanks for doing the podcast man oh yeah thank you for having me 
For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.